This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got a phenomenal show. We have Vince Taylor. He's the president of Pilot House, a marketing firm, a project marketing firm in, in the Lower Mainland. And uh, he's also the author of the recent book, Beyond the Blindfold, Harnessing the Secret Power of Context. Super interesting book, super interesting guy. Can't wait for this interview. Yeah, and the story behind this book, and he he goes into it a little bit, but it's basically was an email thread with some friends, right? Basically, you know, coming up with wisdom amongst friends, uh, yeah. and uh, I guess there was so much wisdom there. He wrote a book. We but, thought about it with our group of friends. There's just no wisdom. There's no wisdom. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but no, it's a phenomenal book, and it's really exciting to talk to him today. Mostly his insights into the real estate market in Vancouver. Super passionate guy. He gives his predictions for the next one, three, five years. Strap in when you hear those predictions. And also he uh, he gives his favorite areas for investment. Just overall, super, super powerful show. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's it was great to have Vince on. But uh, before we cut to that, Adam, what else do we got? few things. Yes. Well, first of all, it's uh, this new question. What is your favorite band or song is absolutely slaying. Oh. And today... Vince's answer does not disappoint. And this is it going... It gives you so much insight into uh, somebody, I think. Well, yeah. Part of the thing, we were just talking about this the other day. It, it kind of started with a conversation about back in the day when you would have a tape or a CD, you would often make a playlist for either your significant other or maybe somebody that you were courting. An aspiring significant other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that was a big thing back in the day. Yeah. You know, yeah. watched a few too many John Cusack uh, movies. Uh, High fidelity. And, great, yeah. great stuff. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and uh, for you, it was you were pumping out a lot of emo mixtapes. Um <laughs> And cry, crying through the tracks of your mascara. Is that no, you weren't you weren't no. very goth. No, I was I was I was just a you little were, goth. You were you were far from nobody in this room was goth, but there's definitely some goths out there listening. But anyways, this got us thinking, let's put together a Kokomo playlist. That's that is right. I was wondering where you're going with this. Yeah. Well, this is it. This is it. We've got Vince's picks today. We've got some great picks from uh, John Stovell. And uh, we want to hear from you, the listener. 
We want to hear from the V-Rep community. Hashtag Kokomo Life. Yeah, hashtag Kokomo Life. If you have a summer song you want to send our way, we're going to put this list together. We're going to put it on the website and uh, it's going to be a growing Summer Jams Kokomo list. That's right. Summer Jams Kokomo list. If you got songs for the list, definitely get in touch. If you are... And and we should say this is all this this whole music kind of component to the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast it, it is inspired by Corey Wright's Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Stolen directly, doing, stolen, doing God's work over there, Corey Wright in the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. If right. you haven't checked it out, check it out. But the other thing about uh, I just wanted to say is we're putting together a Kokomo playlist. Right, we're looking for living that Kokomo life hashtag Kokomo life on Instagram and various other social media. Yes. We are also putting together a series from zero to Kokomo. And this is a series where we talk to investors and not necessarily just the investors who have reached Kokomo. Right. These are aspiring investors, people halfway through their journey. We're sitting down with Jeff Poe soon. Yes. Can't he, wait. He's, 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 I would say halfway to Kokomo. Yeah. This is going to be a great conversation. I'm going to let, Jeff, tell us where he is in the Kokomo yeah, actually, journey. I shouldn't he speak. might be three quarters way to Kokomo. Yeah, I shouldn't speak for Jeff. And Kokomo is a moving target and it's, <laughs> and it's different for everybody. So we'll leave that for Jeff. But what I was going to say is reach out if you have songs, but also reach out if you want to be a guest. You are at a stage in your investment journey right. from zero to Kokomo where you think it could benefit the listeners of this show. We're always looking for new people. Uh, with new stories, new advice, new lessons learned from zero to Kokomo info at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast, if you're interested. Absolutely. And uh, it's so inspiring. We have had, we've had a series of people put in their stories, some Kokomo life uh, hashtags in the stories on Instagram. I've been watching them. It's a lot of fun. Some people are living much, uh, much more exciting lives than us. Yeah, that's 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 a hundred percent true. All right, but what else do we have before we cut to our interview with Vince Taylor? We better talk about our sponsor this week, Oakland Realty. That's right. We are sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our brokerage, best brokerage in Vancouver. If you are looking to get into real estate, an aspiring real estate agent, a seasoned real estate agent, somebody looking to make a change. Head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP2020, that is oakland.com slash join, type in VRP2020, you'll get in touch with Michael Morgan and the gang, which is which is reward enough. Right. But that VRP2020 is going to add a huge incentive for meeting up with them and learning what Oakland has to offer, and you will not be disappointed. Oakland.com slash join VRP2020. Thanks very much, Oakland, for sponsoring the show. And maybe we should cut to our talk with Vince Taylor, Adam. I can't wait for this one. What is going to happen in the Vancouver real estate market over the next few years? And where does Vince, a seasoned, seasoned investor in the market, think you should put your money? Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Vince Taylor, president of Pilot House and author of Beyond the Blindfold, Harnessing the Secret Power of Context. How you doing, Vince? I am fantastic. And if you've read, uh, if you've read any parts of my book, you'll know that's what's one of the chapters. I am fantastic every single day because, you know, why not? And I found it's an attitude. It's a great way to come into every day of your life. And uh, whether you mean it or not, it's a shallow and insincere question for most people. So I have decided to be fantastic. And I hope you guys are too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we definitely are. And yeah, thanks, Vince, for taking the time. Really appreciate it. I think a lot of our listeners will will know Pilot House, but can you maybe we start by you telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I I grew up in the Vancouver area, and I know we got a pretty uh, local listenership. Fifty one years in New Westminster. I'm I'm an old fart now. I I guess some people would say experienced, but uh, either way. You know, you grow up in a wonderful town like that and, you know, you do all the stuff that you do in these towns and you play hockey and lacrosse and you do all the things. And when I was about 18, 19 years old, I did what a lot of young guys did in those days. That's more than a million years ago. You throw a backpack on and you, you, you fly to Europe and you travel around and, you, you know, do all the things and you see the sights and you drink beer. And, and then my journey continued almost for two more years. The guys went home and somehow without boring you to death, the details, I just thought there's got to be more to this world. And I kept on going and, and had the wonderful fortune of, you know, traveling through India and Egypt and climbing all over the pyramids and, 
going down to Africa and swimming with sharks and, you know, going on safaris and back to Europe to do this and that and the other. And it, it was an experience that I didn't fully understand, kind of like having an old box of pictures that you don't really appreciate till you look at them later. But the experiences that I had seeing so many different cultures and meeting so many different people and seeing so many different opinions really formed the basis of who I am today and partly, you know, my real estate career for sure, and partly the basis of, of writing this book. That's kind of interesting because so foundational experience at 19, how does traveling the world, and it sounds like you, yeah, you, you hit a couple different continents there. How does traveling the world lead to real estate? Well, it doesn't directly. I I think I've checked off now about 60 countries. So, I mean, I've really had some good fortune to, to put on some miles specifically to real estate. What it does, and I got a great story for you shortly, but Specifically, what it does is it gets you out of your environment here. Wherever we grow up, we tend to think that's our world. And obviously, when you're eight years old, your world is pretty small. And if you don't get out of town, literally and figuratively, you tend to believe that the city that you live in is the world. And for better or for worse, I had some experiences that said to me, hey, just because you're from Canada doesn't mean that's the best place or the right place or the only place. And of course, I arrived full of ideas and youth and vigor and attitude only to find out that there's a lot going on out there that I had no idea about. And it was a foundational, I like, I like your word, it was a foundational experience about how the world really works. And so, of course, that expresses itself as you grow into what are your personal values? Where do you want to live? You don't have to live in Canada. And if you choose to live somewhere else, how much does it cost? What does a house look like? And that kind of takes you down these rabbit holes of things and lifestyle. And I you know, said to my kids, I call them kids, they're older now, but you don't have to live in Canada. Yes, we'll miss you terribly. But when I grew up, you thought you had to live here, but you don't. But if you're going to go live somewhere else, you better find out about it. And that was kind of the part of the journey that I, I really was so fortunate to have through travel. And do you think the kind of leap of faith that that takes leads to a business like real estate? Like, I'm just thinking from, a, you know, you, you created a, a company, you know, you work for yourself, you're building businesses, all that is, you know, in, in a lot of people's minds, fairly risky business, but so is traveling and swimming with sharks in Africa. So uh, <laughs> do you see some, some correlation there? Well, I'm going to say yes and no. I think that people are entrepreneurial kind of by nature. And, and again, depending on what time we have, I got some, some very specific thoughts on that. I think that having the courage, if you want to put it that way, to, to go and travel and experience, it speaks to your personality to some extent. I mean, some people are very happy to go to a resort, check in for a week, sit in the beach, and that's your idea of travel. Others, much riskier than I, are just willing to go to countries where it might be considered too dangerous. I think it talks to your risk profile to some extent. I think I was naturally born that way. I was curious. I continue to be curious. I certainly wouldn't suggest to somebody that if they didn't take that path, that they couldn't do this path, because we certainly do change along the ways. And you have experiences in your life and my life where you think, wow, you know what? Just because I've been doing something one way doesn't mean I have to do it that way. I love the challenge of new companies. I love the challenges of new businesses and new opportunities. And uh, real estate, I think, just happens to be you know, an area where you can really express yourself. I, I found myself in the TV and film business for a number of years. I didn't go right into real estate. And I love that business, fantastic business. But it wasn't conducive to being married with a young family. So I, I kind of had, had to find another outlet for that energy, and I kind of drifted into it. Wow, when I when I think about real estate, I don't think of conducive to a kids family, but but uh, I'm glad you had a busy year. I'm glad you found balance, Vince. But can we talk maybe about origins of of Pilot House, and then maybe just uh, a little bit about your experience in the real estate world in Vancouver? Yeah, it's a big question. Maybe we're going to have to narrow it down a little bit. I'll say that 
I got into the real estate business, as I mentioned, it was kind of a family thing. I drifted off for a while and came back, but I did start and, and bought my first house with a friend of mine when I was about 25 years old. So I've been involved in the game and then professionally kind of late 80s and stuck with it. And I, I've been involved in every aspect from the development of real estate. Obviously, you buy homes, you sell homes, you do things, you buy land, you, you develop things. And so I've seen every aspect of it, including uh, a, an area that people don't talk about very much, which is recreational real estate. It's a really interesting conversation about why people buy cottages on the lake. Why do you buy something on a ski resort? And that's a whole different conversation that's outside the norm for a lot of people. I don't know if we need to go there today, but I, I spent a lot of time traveling around North America working on recreational real estate projects as well. So it, it really broadens your perspective. When somebody talks about a house in Coquitlam, it really helps to know what's going on in Colorado or what's the price of a condo in Shanghai. You really should have a much broader context so that you're not making decisions in a local vacuum. Actually, can we unpack that idea a little bit? The idea that I note kind of the the idea of context in your book, but but that a condo in Shanghai or uh, a property in Colorado is somehow meaningful when you're thinking about a house in Coquitlam? Extremely meaningful. I, I'll tell you a story. So I'm standing on the corner. Sounds like an Eagles song, but I'm standing on the corner with a Chinese friend of mine. And he's been here a long time. So he's kind of a local Chinese guy. He's got this sour look on his face. We're standing on the corner that roughly can be in King Ed. And I said, what's your, you know, what's your issue today? What's your problem? And he says, I'm sick and tired of being blamed. He's talking about himself being viewed as a Chinese guy. I'm sick and tired of being blamed for, you know, ruining Vancouver real estate. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, okay, you grew up here. And I, not knowing I'm going to get a tongue lashing here, I fall for the bait. And I said, yeah, I grew up right over there. And he said, listen, these houses, when they were built in the 60s or 70s, were 50, 60,000 bucks. Then there are $100,000 and you guys didn't buy them. Then there are 500000 and you guys didn't buy them. Then there were a million and you guys didn't buy them. Now they're, call it $2 million bucks. People from around the world come in and buy them. And we get blamed for driving up the price of real estate. And of course, I'm still too dumb to figure out that I'm being baited here. Well, go on, I say. He said, listen, you live in one of the greatest cities in the world. You got clean air, clean water, a wonderful lifestyle. You're close to schools. We're standing on the corner looking at the city. He said, you're two minutes to downtown. You're five minutes to an airport. The people have discovered Vancouver from around the world. And we get blamed for buying up all your real estate. You people, like Don Cherry got in trouble for, you people sat here right under your own noses and didn't appreciate what you have. And I was like, oh my God. And it, it stung me. And here I am thinking I'm some worldly guy. I've been around a bit, which I have. and still. His message was crystal clear, and it really forms the basis, as I'm sure what else you're going to ask me about affordability. We live in one of the greatest real estate cities on earth, and unless you appreciate the context of what it means to be living in Paris, London, Tokyo, Shanghai, Vancouver, Manhattan, those are the conversations we're in. If you don't understand what's going on in those cities, then how can you buy a house in Coquitlam? How can you determine whether this is a good buy or a bad buy if you don't understand where you live in the context of the real estate world? And too many people, sorry, too many people don't put in the effort, don't put in the research, they didn't complain, I hear it every day, and they haven't done the homework to say, I really understand what I'm talking about before I start shooting my mouth off about real estate. So the global context is crucial in your mind? Critical, critical. How, how can you value a condo on the west side of Vancouver unless you understand the price per foot of a condo in Shanghai? Shanghai, to me, is the window of Vancouver. So Shanghai condo prices, and I'm sure there's experts listening who will you know, go, go, go with it, guys, if you're listening to me. You go to Shanghai right now, you want to buy something decent, you're going to be paying between three dollars and $4,000 a foot. Okay. And Vancouver is cheap at $2,000 a foot. Oh my God, yes, the local people, $2,000 a foot, you're crazy, how could we ever? It's half price. So if you're naive enough to think that the world doesn't recognize the arbitrage between a magnificent place to live and, and that 2,000 is less than 4,000 and that we won't be at 4,000 soon, 
then you're delusional, completely delusional. So if you don't understand that context, how do you make a good buying decision in a world-class real estate city? Now, sure, you get out of Vancouver, we're having a different conversation. Now you got me started. There's an old rule of thumb that says one year's income buys a car, five years income buys a house. That was true pre-1986 in Vancouver, and it's still quite true in a lot of small towns in Canada. People make 50, 60,000 bucks a year, let's say the average guy that walk, walking around. You can buy a nice car for 60 grand, but you can't buy a nice house for 300 anymore in Vancouver or 600 or 1.6 in many cases. So those old heuristics have been detached in international cities like Vancouver. Well, if you don't understand that, again, how do you determine the value of a condo in Abbotsford? If you don't understand migration and in-migration and policies and all of these things, you can't make good decisions about real estate. So Vincent, thinking, you know, just in, in the, the idea that in the global cities, you know, the, the markets are, are detached from regular incomes, is, is dealing with affordability a worthwhile pursuit? It is if it's approached from a scientific and, dare I say, contextual perspective. To just simply hope that they, the government, whoever they are, will do something, whatever that is, to help you buy a house because you happen to be born in Port Moody and therefore are self-entitled to live in Port Moody is naive and delusional. Again, I'm sorry, I have no filter or less of a filter. So let's go back to reality. If, if you were born in Manhattan, you're likely going to live in Brooklyn or Queens. We understood that and we thought that was okay. But now when it's happening to us, we're saying, well, whoa, 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 I, I was born here. I should have a right. But it isn't true. It isn't true because we are now an international city. So you have to understand what that means. And, you know, there's a section to cross over to the book just for a minute. One of my favorite sections is on prohibition. And we tend not to think of what that word means in its full glory. Prohibition in any form is a short-term fool's game. If people want to swim in the ocean, you can put up a sign and put up a fence, but they're going to swim in the ocean. They want to drink, they're going to drink. If they want to buy real estate in Vancouver, there's no government policy. There's no thing that's going to happen. People are much more nimble than government policies. Somebody really wants to buy something, and we have a foreign buyer's tax, which is insane from my perspective. You're just going to phone your brother or your friend and have them buy it for you. There's a million workarounds. So to actually believe you're going to create affordability through prohibition is wildly naive. And it's not very popular here in Vancouver to say something like that because people want it to be different. It's okay if it's not different in Tokyo, not okay if it's not different in London, but here in my town. So let's get a grip that affordability is based on the simple things that they taught us in high school, supply and demand. We're bordered on three sides. We have limited land supply and everybody wants to come. So you got two choices. Prices can go crazy or you can dampen the prices with supply. Supply is a much longer question. Why does it take three to four years to get approved for a high rise? Well, I'm not hacking on the cities. They got their own issues, but we can't bring product to market fast enough here in Vancouver. We're afraid of densification. You go to the cities of the world, high rises are 100 stories high. You can put a lot of people on one acre of land if you go vertical, or you can have one sprawling house on one acre of land and a whole bunch of people who can't afford it. And you can go around and round and round that argument all you want, but it's supply and demand. We live in a world-class city with limited land supply and people that want to come here. So if you don't understand the macroeconomic worldwide fundamentals, you're going to have a really hard time with a micro reason of why a house in Coquitlam is so expensive. You know, just thinking about individuals, uh, you know, let's let's call it John, who was born in Port Moody, uh, but individuals in this in this market who are, you know, rightfully frustrated, I guess, in the sense that it's very hard if you're not in the market to get in the market, especially if you don't have if you don't come into a windfall of cash from somewhere, what advice, and I think most listeners by now will, will get the sense that you're pretty bullish long-term on Vancouver real estate, <laughs> but what, what yeah. advice would you give to, to individuals struggling here in Vancouver to, 
to get into the market? It's a fantastic question and a delicate question. So I'll give it to you straight because obviously my kids who are no longer kids, I mentioned are 31 and 29 this year. We all want to see our kids and young people and young people and myself. Everybody feels, you know, you want to own a place in your lifetime and whether you need to or not is a different question. So here's a story for you. You go to Hawaii, you go to these places, you see a group of surfers out there floating around and you go back, you get a margarita, you come back, they're still out there floating around. You're thinking, what what are these guys doing? You know what they're doing? They're all complaining that the wave isn't quite right and this isn't, and the next one's going to be better and, and all that. And then finally you see one guy, he's had enough of this and he paddles and he catches a little wave and sure, it's a crappy little wave, but pretty soon he separated himself from the crowd. And to me, you got two choices as a young person struggling. You can start paddling and get into the market, or you can sit up there and complain with the rest of the people waiting for the day when it's all going to be perfect. So what do you do? If you don't happen to come in for a windfall, you phone a friend and two of you go in on something. You get three people, you get four people. Everybody's got an Aunt Betsy who's loaded with cash. She's an old spinster who lives by herself some in some place that smells funny, but she's got tons of money. And all you got to do is part some of the cash out of her because she loves you to death. Why wait till she dies to get a windfall? Go have lunch with her and pry a little cash out of her now. But more importantly, you got to paddle. And I'm met with this question every single day. When I bought my first house, I bought it with a friend. And I can't say that we were clever enough to know that that was the right path. But that's what we did because we didn't have enough money. So right now, every young person I ever talk to, I give the same advice to my kids to do something. Find something you can afford and get in the market. There's a very old expression that says, buy real estate and wait. Don't wait to buy real estate. There's a longer detailed one that says, flip that real estate because it's the only tax-free capital gain you can get in Canada. But that's another half-hour podcast. (laughs) you got to do something. So quit, quit floating around with all the other surfers, start paddling, find a friend, find an aunt, find an uncle, and do something, get into the market. Because real estate is the greatest generator of wealth that you can find, especially in a progressive city like Vancouver, where to your point, long term, this is bullish. This is a very bullish thing. But if you don't start, you can't be in the game, and then you're never going to be in the game. Vince, maybe uh, switching gears a little bit here, why did you write Beyond the Blindfold? Oh, boy. Okay. So real, I I know this is a real estate show, so I'll I'll try to be as quick as I can on this part. I had this this foundation of travel, as I mentioned, and all this experience. And, you know, you, you come back to Vancouver, kind of a different person, but still not quite sure what to do with all this. And two things happened. It seems remarkable today for young people listening. But there used to be no such thing as the internet or email. I mean, I'm old, but I'm not a million years old. And all of a sudden, late 90s, early 2000s, these two things happened at the same time. And very interestingly enough, email allowed for the first time people to have private conversations without having to pick up a telephone in those days before cell phones, weren't very private, or you had to drive across town. And if your buddy wanted to talk to you about his wife or his kids or a new job or whatever, there, there really wasn't a way to communicate. So email allowed us to communicate in private ways. So we're asking each other questions. We're doing this. And I noticed some of my answers were inadequate. And, and, and I'm going to say embarrassing at best. But I was spewing out things that I had been told contextually by my mother, God love her, by my teacher, by Jerry, who helped me fix my bike. You know, those immigrants are taking all the good jobs. Well, if somebody tells you that all your life, you tend to want to repeat that. Then the second thing that happens, the internet came along, and we could actually do research and look things up. In the old days, you used to have to drive to the public library, which seems bizarre. Ride your three-speed with a banana seat over to the public library, get a book about polar bears, and whatever it said about polar bears, that was true. But what if it wasn't? So all of a sudden, I thought, you know, I've got all this experience. I learned all these things. And here I am spewing the same BS just because somebody told me it was true. And I went into this very introspective journey about trying to find out what was contextually true, what was actually true. And I no longer wanted to be 
part of the problem where you just repeat things. And I had to tear apart some of my most sacred beliefs. And, and it's really, really hard. I mean, if you've believed your whole life that the earth is flat and everyone around you tells you it's flat and all the textbooks tell you it's flat, and then you find out it isn't, that's a tough day. And for me, the journey of writing this book was very personal. I had to challenge a lot of my own belief systems. And I also thought it would be a really cool thing to leave for my, my kids. You know, you don't know your parents as adults or as, as young people. You only know them as adults. And they only knew me as an adult. So I, I won't say a roadmap. That's too presumptuous. But maybe a few breadcrumbs about what the old man thought about things. And it was just a really wonderful way for me to face some of my greatest fears and embarrassment, write it all down. And today, the beautiful thing is that it's almost impossible to get me angry, almost impossible to offend me. Because however crazy the idea, I don't want to argue with you. I want to find out where in the world this came from. I want to pull up a chair, crack a beer, and say, tell me more. If you believe the earth is flat, I'm not going to argue with you. If you believe that Vancouver real estate should be cheaper because the government should do something about it, the business side of me wants to say, are you crazy? But after writing this book and having this experience, now I pull up a chair and say, Matt, I may not agree with this, but I am super excited to learn where your ideas come from because maybe I'm hanging on to some flawed arguments myself. And what we're trying to get to is the truth. And we can only do that by broadening our minds and broadening our context. And that's really the value of the book. And I, I use the lessons and ideas of this book every single day of my life. So Vince, if I understand this book essentially started from email correspondence with you and a, a group of friends and, and kind of almost Correct. sounds like working through some big ticket items. Uh, it sounds more philosophical than a lot of the emails I'm writing. But if I understand, it's a, it was kind of a deep dive into why you thought the way you did. And coming out the other side, just thinking about, you know, the second half to the title. And I know it sounds like we, we were joking about coming up with the title before we went live, but the secret power of context. Can we just unpack what the power is? And secondly, and we've kind of touched on this a bit, but how context, how you use that as an approach to analyzing real estate? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. So I God, I guess I have to quote myself now. It feels terrible. But before I understood the power of context, I, I really honestly understood nothing. And I, I sound like I'm overplaying this, and I don't, I don't mean to, because if you say to people, do you understand context and perspective? They say, yeah, yeah, sure I do. But when you really do a deep dive into what that means, what it really means to be empathetic, what it really means to understand different cultures, what it really means to understand macroeconomics, what it really understands to mean people who have had different experiences than yourself. I, there's a chapter in particular of my time in Africa called The Morality and the Madness. There's one more difficult story, if we have time, I'll share, but the, a more fun story. I walk into what is essentially a, a Walmart, and there's a guy standing there, obviously a big, big black guy, and he's a big man, and he's got a giant smile on his face, and he's got a nine-foot-long rhinoceros hide whip in front of Walmart. You know? And I thought, well, I'm here now, I got to ask. I said, oh, <laughs> sir, you know, excuse me, uh, what, what's the whip for? And he, with a big smile on his face, he said, it's for shoplifters. And I said, oh, you know, I'm from, I'm from Newsminster. What do I know? I said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, shoplifting is bad. And I said, contextually, yes, shoplifting is bad. Stealing is bad, right? And he said, when you shoplift, I hit you with the whip, and then you don't shoplift anymore. And that's a good thing. And I said, that's a good thing, because we were trying to stop shoplifting. And with a big smile on his face, he said, that's how we do it here, and we don't have any shoplifting. Have a nice day. As I backed quietly out of the store and decided that isn't even a place I wanted to be. But in all our lives here, contextually, we thought that it would be bad to hit someone with a whip, but we also knew shoplifting was bad. So I'm standing there as a, you know, as a young guy going, this doesn't square with what I've been told the values of, of growing up in a small town in Canada. We don't do this, but they do it. And they seem like nice people. They're not crazy people. They're friendly and, and family oriented and all of these things. But their view of how to do things is quite different. 
And I had to start questioning all of my views. Well, because I was told this is the right way, does that make it right? So what it becomes is a deep dive into critical thinking and opening up your mind and letting go, letting go of some flawed arguments. Just because you believe something to be true does not make it true. No matter how many people tell you it's true, it doesn't make it true. So if you want to take that into a real estate perspective, I take this belief system that I have, and so often it's hard to let go of things, and I'm going to analyze a deal. And I love this deal. And now it's a real estate deal, and I'm in some cities in Vancouver, or maybe I'm in Kamloops somewhere, and I love this house. And I have to go back to what's true. We have to go back to what are the fundamentals. If I'm going to invest in real estate, I'm doing it generally because I want to make money. Okay, great. Check our box. Like shoplifting is bad. Check the box. The second thing is, if I want to make money, I have to sell it for more than I paid for it. Okay, that's fairly intuitive. How do I do that without supply and demand? Let's take Kamloops for, as an example. Are more people moving into Kamloops than out of Kamloops? If the answer is no, then first two questions contextually are going to be hard to answer yes. Because if there's no pressure on demand and there's lots of supply, chances are we're not going to see a capital appreciation in my investment. If I'm moving to Port Moody and they have just put in a SkyTrain station and a West Coast Express station and it's reasonably affordable and there's brew pubs and there's Rocky Mountain or Rocky Point Park and I've got a great opportunity for something that's maybe a little tired, beat up, but it's right downtown, would that make sense from an investment perspective? Yes, it would. Because I'm in Vancouver, macroeconomically, it's going to grow like the big cities in the world. Microeconomically, it's in an affordable area where an average family can buy, and the house is a little underutilized, and there's in-migration. So whatever I used to think isn't important. Contextually, get to the facts, get to the truth. Don't walk into a house and say, like an amateur, the kitchen looks great, the backyard looks great, I'll take it. A pro walks in and says, tell me about the roof, tell me about the foundation, tell me about the hot water tank and the furnace and I can fix the rest. If I'm buying in a correct area and the bones and the fundamentals are correct and I don't delude myself into wrong thinking and don't hang on to flawed arguments, then that's how you invest in real estate. What would you say uh, to somebody out there, you know, because we have a lot of people looking for cash flow, which is, which is obviously challenging here in Vancouver. Does that factor into your, to, to your investing strategy or are you thinking the big play is, is capital appreciation? So let's look at the, you know, the bigger picture and, and focus on, on capital appreciation. Well, there's people that are much better at microanalysis than I am. So I'm going to give you a, a broad stroke on that. Cash flow cap rate, if you like capitalization rate, is nearly impossible within the GVRD. And yes, I can hear the fur flying. Oh, Vince, you don't understand this. Yeah, I, I, I do. Actually, I do understand. You're, you're going to get a cash flow opportunity from time to time. But if your cash flow is your thing, you got to get out of town. You can buy a condo in Merit that will give you a cap rate of 10% but the capital appreciation will be basically zero. You pay hundred grand for a condo, 10 years later, it's worth hundred grand, but you made 10% on your money. If you buy a condo in Vancouver for 500 grand, your cap rate's effectively zero, but next year it's worth 600 grand. Which do you prefer? You can't really have both in the GVRD and yes, 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 I know. There's this one and that one and this opportunity and great. Some of the outlying areas do provide and it's going to be temporary, but primarily my strategy as an investor is I'm looking at areas of growth and appreciation. And I, I, I hope to break even on my cash flow. And that's about the best you can do for the most part. You know, there's some groups like Rain in Vancouver that are fantastic at identifying areas where cash flow is great. I mean, they spent a lot of time in, in Edmonton and Calgary, and they've done very, very well. But capital appreciation in Edmonton, uh, not so much. So you'll see the big, the big boys who know a lot more about this than I do, they'll buy an apartment building for 50 million or 100 million with a cap rate of zero. And you think, why in the God's name with inflation running at 2%, would you buy a cap rate of zero? 
Well, because they paid fifty million, and next year it was worth sixty million. Oh, okay. <laughs> so on a micro scale, the average person can do the same uh, on a on a small condo or a townhouse or a single family house if you know what you're doing and you follow the fundamentals, and you don't get your contextual values blurred by something somebody told you 14 years ago who doesn't know anything about real estate. Right? <laughs> don't listen to those people. Jerry, who helped me fix my bike. Turns out was a nice guy, but he doesn't know anything about real estate. So stop listening to Jerry and what he told you was BS. <laughs> Sorry, Jerry, if you're listening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's a super fan of the show. And John from Port Moody. Um, <laughs> what areas are you most excited about in Metro Vancouver, Vince? Well, I'll get in trouble for saying this, but I love Squamish. The people in Squamish are already mad at me. That place is one of the greatest communities that kind of uh, talk about. We told the story earlier about communities right underneath our noses. You know, I grew up in New Westminster skiing in Mount Seymour in my jeans in the 70s. We never heard of Whistler, but there wasn't much of a Whistler in the 70s. But Whistler has turned out to be a world-class thing. But you never thought of what's west of West Van. You know, Squamish wasn't a place that most of us thought of. And today, it is one of the most sought-after communities in the GVRD, back to the fundamentals that, of course, local people missed. We're at sea level. You think of Squamish as Whistler, but it's not. It's at sea level. You got waterfront property, one hour from a major airport, half an hour from one of the best ski resorts in the world, a lifestyle that's unrivaled, and an easy drive on the sea to sky. Listen to a podcast like this if you need to work at, you know, Burrard and, and Georgia. This is the easiest drive. I'm, I'm rattling my way out of South Surrey. My son lives in Squamish. We get downtown at the same time, and he's had the most beautiful drive in the sea to sky, and I'm sitting on Oak Street. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> Squamish is fantastic. We've ruined Squamish basically now, and, and if you think Squamish is expensive now, rewind the podcast because it's going crazy from here on in. You don't have to live on the west side of Vancouver. Those areas offer lifestyle opportunities and affordability opportunities that just aren't around in a lot of the other places, and of course, the valley. Mission. I mean, Mission was a place that was kind of out of the way. Now Mission has absolutely exploded because it's down the corridor of number seven from Maple Ridge to Mission and, of course, Abbotsford. Even out to Chilliwack, which I didn't think I'd live long enough to put Chilliwack and multifamily in the same sentence. If you can find work out there, that's the big thing. You don't want to spend your life commuting. And it used to be 20% of the people worked in you know these outlying areas. Now it's 40, 50%. You don't have to commute anymore. The people of Abbotsford, in my experience, are fiercely independent. You meet somebody on a holiday in Mexico and you say, I'm from New Westminster or I'm from Vancouver. They say, well, I'm from Abbotsford. Well, don't you mean Vancouver? No, I'm from <laughs> Abbotsford. Right? I, you live over there. I live over here. Some of my staff and friends live out in Abbotsford. They don't even come to town. They're more akin in spirit to Kamloops. That's their playground and corridor. But all of a sudden now, the GVRD corridor has grown so much that the communities that are, we used to consider outlying are absolutely part. And those are the communities where the growth opportunities are. That's where young families can do well. That's where investors can really make money. You have to go out and explore and understand what those communities mean. And that's where I'm most bullish. The Valley, the Tri-Cities, and if you want to go the other way, Squamish is fantastic. You mentioned Kamloops. Do you have any thoughts, and it might be a little bit outside your wheelhouse because you focus primarily on, on Metro Vancouver, I guess, but outside of Metro Vancouver, where are you excited about? Well, the, the biggest city outside of you know the pond, if you like, is Kelowna. Kelowna is fantastic. And there's you know a lot of people that move up there, and we all know people that move up there. They don't move back because it's awesome. <laughs> the weather's great. You got great lakes then outdoor opportunities and this and that. The biggest issue once you get outside of a, of a large world-class city is uh, employment opportunities. Harder to make money. So, you know, they call it the Gray River over to, to Qualicum and Parksville. The old people, and I guess I'm getting to be one of them, they pull up roots here and finally say, you know, why am I bashing my head against the wall living here? I can sell my house in East Van or wherever you happen to raise your family. Kids are grown. They've dispersed why don't I live a beautiful lifestyle over on the island, right? So there's opportunities outside, but they're, they're usually limited by employment. So real estate gets tangled up with employment. But if it's the Gray River, most of those people are retired. So 
the amount of money that's moving to Vancouver Island and will continue to move to Vancouver Island is astonishing. But if, if you want a lifestyle change, Kelowna, Kamloops, Vernon are absolutely fantastic, primarily because they've got an employment base, a fantastic lifestyle. But once you're out of the Vancouver market, it's a big, long bridge to get back in. So once you make that move, move with great caution and really know what you're doing, again, understand the, the fundamentals. What are the migration data numbers? You got to do your homework and don't believe anybody about anything. Do your own homework and see if it makes sense for you and your lifestyle and your family before you make that move. Vince, are you surprised by the strength of the market this past, uh, call it 18 months? And then also maybe as a, as a side note, pre-sale market seems to be on fire right now. Maybe if you could talk a little bit about just the market overall and then, of course, the pre-sale market. Well, it's about a two-hour conversation, so I'm going to try to give it to you in two minutes. <laughs> about, you know, we had an absolutely crazy market pre-2017, which seems a million years ago. The market was absolutely on fire, kind of like what will happen and happens every cycle. People were tired, uh, exhausted about the high prices in 2016, 2015. Everything was selling at prices we'd never seen before in the city, and we always think it could never get worse. But of course it does. Finally, people say, you know, that's enough. And then their buddy says that's enough, and then that's enough, and then prices start to fall. That's how these business cycles end. So we had about a two-year recessionary period between 2017 and, and 2019, and it was a healthy recession. Sure, people like us who sell things for a living, it was no fun. The, the real estate market basically stopped and everybody was tired. And then it started to come back, 2019, November, December, January, the market was on fire again. Why? Because demand had built up. The development community was stinging a little from those two years of, of lack of demand, and there was no supply. So just as we went into COVID, it was kind of like the, you know, the man in black, look into this light and we're going to blast your eyes and you're going to forget. We froze in time, huge demand, February, you know, 2019, 2020, huge demand and no supply. COVID hits, the world ends. We don't understand it. Everybody's upset, obviously. But nothing fundamentally macroeconomically worldwide changed from a real estate perspective. There's a whole bunch of people that want houses and there aren't many houses. And boom, the market goes into free fall. We forget that it's only been the last six or eight months that the market's gone back on fire. Okay. There was nothing going on for the first six months of COVID. You ask any realtor how much money they made, nothing. Then all of a sudden, people started to feel more positive that there was a vaccine on the horizon. Interest rates fell to historic lows. Everybody likes to tell the old stories of interest rates. For your purposes, for their listeners' purposes, this will never happen again under 2%. This will never, if you take anything away from me today, this will never in your lifetime happen again. So now you got historically low prices, you've got demand starting to rise up, confidence returning to the market, prices depressed because people couldn't sell anything for two years. And Bob says to Jerry and Jerry says to Mary and Mary says to Bob, we should buy something. And it, then it's a game of telephone and around it goes and it goes. Now, interesting, pre-sale did not take off right away. People say to me, oh boy, you must be doing great. Pre-sale, some fire. Well, this, you know, a few months ago, well, the truth was, no, we weren't because we sell futures. We sell things that don't exist. We sell hopes and dreams. We sell confidence. So if you don't believe that tomorrow is going to be better than today, why would you give me money today with something I can't deliver for two years? Right? So it's confidence is pre-sale. And then a strange thing happened. The resale market got so crazy. And I'm sorry for my colleagues out here who may not like to hear all this. It got so crazy, people were coming to us almost by default and saying, I've made six offers on a home. I am so frustrated. I got outbid six times. Give me one of them pre-sale things because we got guaranteed supply and guaranteed price. You're not going to be embarrassed if you're a realtor in front of your clients. Your clients aren't going to be exhausted because they couldn't get what they want. So they didn't necessarily want what we were selling, but we became a default. And then as the vaccine started to get created and people started feeling bullish, and they understand the macroeconomics because people in Vancouver are very sophisticated. We understand that the thaw has happened and we understand one other big thing. There's a hundred 
thousand people waiting to come to Vancouver, fully approved through the immigration policies of Canada. We get on average about 50,000 people a year. It's been 15, 16 months with the borders closed. Then you throw in 200,000 passport holders, Canadian resident in Hong Kong, and what's going on over there. Now, sure, not everybody's going to move here, but 10% are going to move here. Call it another 20,000. So you got 120,000 people on top of low interest rates, on top of confidence returning to the market. And this thing is going to explode. The prices that you're seeing today are low. They are low. Wait till the borders open. What are you going to do then? Where are 120,000 people going to live? When you guys and everyone listening drives around the city and sees all these concrete high rises, they're all sold. Everything. Standing inventory arguably is about five to 7,000. That's it. Where are 120,000 people going to live? Right? Grade eight economics, supply and demand. So <laughs> am I surprised? It was a very hurtful time for all of us through COVID. And, and I, you know, I'm hesitant to complain. We all got hurt in our own way. The real estate market got hurt. But am I surprised? No. And it's going to get way, way, way more expensive in the coming years. Maybe as a final question, Vince, and I, this is kind of, I, I think I got the answer here already, but, but we, always like to, we always like to ask people for forecasts and predictions. What's the balance of 2021 look like and, and maybe the next two, three, five years? Right. It's, it's a great question. And obviously, the, the most important question to us as professionals in this business and to listeners who are interested in real estate and investors, anyone who tells you they can see past about 18 months is, is not being truthful. Even those, those of us who live and breathe this stuff. Business cycles beyond 18 months are very hard to predict because, you know, there's just too many things in the outside world. You can't just look at Vancouver. You can't just look at one market. So let's focus in on say, what does the next 18 months look like? Because that's a reliable forecast. I would say, again, if you're going to take one thing away from my crazy ranting and raving today, buy everything you can in the next 18 months, because you ain't seen nothing yet in the words of a famous Canadian band. Because the fundamentals are huge demand, low supply, world-class city, remember my guy, standing on the corner, and more importantly, interest rates have to go up. If you don't understand interest rates, go do some homework. Interest rates have to go up. The worldwide economic system is built on interest rates being at about 5%, okay? So if interest rates are 2%, they can't go much lower. Now, people buy when money's cheap, but they're gonna buy even more as soon as there's an announcement that if you don't lock in today, you're going to miss out on the cheapest money in a thousand years. So there's two things that are gonna happen. The borders are gonna open, and it's going to be like a midnight madness sale of 100,000 people pouring into what some people will say is already an overpriced, overheated, overcrowded city. Uh, you know what's going to happen. Then the government's going to announce interest rates are going to go up a point. And those fence sitters, those people that are surfing, that are paddling out in the middle of the ocean, that are not doing anything, you're going to see a whole bunch of them break for the waves. That's going to drive a second wave of increase in prices. 18 to 24 months from now, people are going to be exhausted. Interest rates are higher. All the people who have come to Vancouver have come. Borders are open. Prices are insane. The world's going to end. Prices will calm down for a year or two, and then it's going to go again. So you can do like the old guys do. I'm not buying that house. I could have bought that in 1984. And my uncle and I, that's too. You can be that old guy, and you can say, I would have, I could have, I should have. Or you can start paddling, and you can get to work, and you can phone a friend, you can phone your aunt, you can find some money, but don't complain. Do something, because the government's not going to help you. The policies aren't going to help you. Prohibition is going to help you. Who's going to help you is yourself. We are so fortunate to live in one of the greatest cities on earth, and everybody wants to come here. That's the fact. So you can let go of all your other flawed arguments. And if you want to read more about that, shameless plug for the book, you want to read more about that, jump into the book. But don't hang on to flawed arguments that are delusional. 
be grateful instead to live where we live, to have the lifestyle we have, to have a rule of law and clean air and clean water and great schools. And we live in a place that everybody wants to be. Well, that only leads to one equation. So I love real estate by everything you can in the next 18 months because the world's going to go crazy as those two big fundamentals approach our city. Well, maybe we'll leave it there, Vince, but we do have this segment called the Five Wire, Five Quick Questions to end our show. Can you stick around for that? Of course, of course. I was reading those, laughing. I thought, oh, those are tough questions. (laughs) That's why we send them before. Um, What is your favorite bar or restaurant in Vancouver? Well, a shout out to the Blue Water Cafe. I just love that place. I mean, there's so many great restaurants in Vancouver, but I I don't think I've ever had a bad day there. And you can walk in in a pair of shorts. It's not stuffy. It's not uh, too formal. And just all you ever get is fantastic food and wine and a great atmosphere. So that's that's my favorite. Right on. New question uh, for the Five Wire. Favorite band or song? Has to be the Stampeders, Sweet City Woman, circa 1972, before a lot of the listeners were even born. But uh, it's my favorite boat song. I jump in the boat, I crank it up, it feels like summer. And uh, that is my that is my go. My kids roll their eyes because that's all I ever play as loud as I can. And it's just like, oh God, we've heard this a thousand times. But that's the song I love. And this is this is going to be great for my summer mix. That and Backman Turner Overdrive. Uh, That's right. What is one book you'd recommend to anyone listening? If you haven't read Atlas Shrugged for a long time or never read it, first shame on you. Uh, that's my my old person shaking my hickory stick at you. <laughs> if you call yourself a businessman, business person, businesswoman, and you haven't read Atlas Shrugged, then don't even wait till tomorrow. Do it this afternoon. It is so so arresting in their in the ideas, and is the book written in the fifties? And if you never help to sort out between what is real news, what is fake news, I don't care if you're leaning left or leaning right. The fundamentals outlined in Atlas Shrugged are absolutely critical, and it's a must read in my in my opinion. Great. Okay. One piece of advice you would give your eighteen year old self. I was I was lucky to be a bit entrepreneurial, but I would even push myself to have started buying real estate, being more involved earlier. Again, I'm a, I'm a bit filterless when it comes to this. Stop complaining, get on with it. The most successful people, if if you value success in real estate by being a successful investor, they work harder than everybody else. You get home from work, you buy a little condo that needs paint and wallpaper. You work after work. You go on Saturdays. You're Friends are going to the to the you know the beach. You know, I, I was working on real estate stuff. So the best advice for myself as a young guy and for other young people is work, save, invest, repeat. You know, work life balance is a nice thing, but if you really love real estate and you really love being involved, it's not so bad. But if you just put in more hours than everybody else, if you catch more waves, you'll just do better. And that is the fundamental lesson. I, I love that. I'm retitling your book in my mind, Stop Complaining, Harnessing the Secret Power of Action. Yeah. Well, there, I, there you know is. what? I love it. Ha, I, see, there you go. <laughs> Where were you when I was David? Oh, my God. Uh, last Stop question. Stop get catch a wave and get to work, get, dude. Catch That's a wave. Yeah, exactly. The surfing metaphor, though, is a very, is That's a very a fantastic useful one. Yeah. metaphor. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, what is something that you've bought in the last year or two for under $1,000 that's changed your life? <laughs> this one, I laughed right out loud when I saw that question. It's a super clear answer for me. I fancy myself as a bit of a, a cook. It's my hobby. I, I source food. I cook food. I'm into it, right? So my mother's got this bloody air fryer. There's no way I'm buying an air fryer. Like, I'm fancy. I'm not buying an air fryer. So I go over and I, I reluctantly try the thing. You know what I hate? It works. And it works really well. And I hate the fact that it works because I can do way more things with it. And I got all this gear and all these pots and pans and this stupid air fryer for $200 (laughs) is magic. And if you haven't bought one, you just have to give up and buy one. And it, it frustrates me every time I use it for all the right reasons. Because it is just a magical tool and I and I you know, it's kinda like playing pickleball. I have vowed never to play pickleball, even though people love it, because it feels like I got old and I am, and of course I'll play. But that <laughs> air fryer seemed like the same thing. 
and it and pickleball is awesome and so are air fryers and 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 i i i, I hate the fact i hate the fact that i love it <laughs> i bought one for all my kids now i now now everybody's in here for oh my god how's that <laughs> Right on. Well, thanks so much for your time again, Vince. That was a great conversation and uh, really, really appreciate your time. And how can people find out more about uh, what you're doing over at Pilot House and and more about the book? Well, uh, beyondtheblindfold.com is the website on there. And Pilot House Real Estate Inc. is the name of the company. We got a great uh, website. I'm easy to reach. Send me a note. I really like talking about real estate. Please uh, shoot me a note. I'll call you back. I really will. Because there's so much that we can't get into in an hour and there's so many specifics and people are at different levels of investing. So the vocabulary of what we might want to talk about today is different for everybody. I love the basics and I love the complex, but the the big thing is paddle, get to work, get started. Uh, You know, they used to say there's two great times to plant a tree. One of them was 10 years ago, right? And that's the point. This is the day. Go get Atlas Shrug, go get Black Swan go get your rent, go get some money, get going, take action and call me. Uh, I'm easy to find. I'm easy to reach. And I I really hope people will enjoy the book. It's not a self-help book at all. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm sharing stories about what happened to me. And it's kind of like, you know, when you have a campfire and someone says a long time ago, I knew a guy and everybody gathers around. That's kind of what I, what I want to do. I just want to share stories from around the world, things that have happened to me. And if it's of value, to you, uh, then I'm, I'm very, very pleased. Fantastic way to end. Thanks again, Vince. Really appreciate your time. That's awesome. And I uh, really appreciate you guys having me on. I love the opportunity. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with president of Pilot House and author of Behind the Blindfold, Vince Taylor. Really enjoyed that conversation. Vince started off by saying that he felt fantastic. You know, just positive vibes all the way through that conversation. And uh, you can tell that he's just, he's figured out life. That guy's cracked the code. I, you know what? Dare I say he's living his Kokomo life. He's, he is. He sounds like it at the very least. Speaking of Kokomo's life, how about that surfing metaphor? For, oh, yeah. Oh, uh, for not yeah. taking action. Oh, yeah. That was great. That yeah. yeah. I wonder if that, I mean, Vince said it so flippantly, like everybody's heard this metaphor before, but right. uh, man, that's powerful stuff. It is powerful stuff. And before we cut for the day, Matt, one more Kokomo for the road. One more Kokomo for the road. This is in a, 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 especially for those who are partway through their real estate investing journey. We are looking for stories from zero to Kokomo. We want to have you, the listener, on the show in the future. So if you are at all keen to talk about your investing strategies, wins, losses, goals, Get in touch, info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, or if you just got a good summer jam. Well, yeah. The Kokomo Life playlist is coming soon. Exactly. And just keep in mind, Kokomo is a continuum. It's a a cotinium. A what? A cotinium? Cocotinium? Cocotinium. (laughs) Anyways, it it doesn't matter where you are on that continuum. There's a spot for you on this show. We we want to talk to you if you're aspiring to your first door. Yeah. Challenges, tribulations. That's a short conversation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but no, there's room for everyone in the from zero to Kokomo. So get in touch. Info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. What else do we have, Adam? We have our website. That is VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for all things real estate related. We have the live wire with the deal of the month, VIP access for a variety of projects, including some industrial space uh, that... Commercial it, spaces abound. It might it might be sold out already. I'm not even sure and where yeah, we're at ass- with that. Assignments and, and just overall great deals. There's no reason that you shouldn't be on that list for sure. We also have sales ratios that go out that you're not going to see elsewhere. We got the real estate board stats that go out every month. Those just came out. Yep. And last but not least, Adam, we have private client services. And Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free at your fingertips. It's really a behind the curtain tool. Yeah. With a new interface. With a new interface. But no, it is the best research tool out there. Definitely head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. There's absolutely no reason that you shouldn't be monitoring the market using private client services. So do get in touch. And uh, what else do we got, Matt? 
A few great shows coming soon, Adam. And uh, yeah, a lot of good feedback on John Stovell last week. That was a great episode. Just just getting better. I he, listened to it again and I picked up so it's sometimes so hard in the conversation to to pick up on exactly what the guest is saying, but I went back and listened to that one, specifically the stuff on the city of Vancouver and the direction of the city and where his, he likes um, for investments. And man, is he excited. Uh, it just, it, it made me think of the Hastings Sunrise Corridor specifically and that they had some projects coming and uh, it's going to be an, an incredible place to live. So Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So if you want to talk about that, the Hastings Corridor, John Stovell or anything else, 778-847-2854 or Matt at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line info at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. Have a great week, guys. Enjoy the uh, slightly cooler weather. Slightly cooler. Um, even though it's still it's still pretty hot out there. And uh yeah, have a great week. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.